You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Thought I'd mix it up. What do you think? Should I keep the little, the ring growl in there? I don't know. Pretty sweet. Well, happy Sunday, folks. Glad to have you. Today we're going to mix it up and we're going to talk about the draft. Um, Something we haven't really done recently. I know. Nobody's really interested in that at this time of the year, but I figure we should just take a little look, all right, and just see what's going on out there. Just just get crazy with it today. Um, no, that's pretty much what we're going to be doing. Um, I'll try to mix it up if something arises, but, I mean, we got less than a month, man. we gotta, we got to try to hone this thing a little bit. So I, I think we're just going to be looking at the same thing from different angles. If we can, any questions, thoughts, comments are appreciated just to try to see from different angles. Maybe some later round prospects, earlier guys, but again, from different vantage points, kind of what if type stuff. I mean, we're, we're hammering pick 12 pretty hard, but we, you know, anyways, we got time. But uh, I've got a couple questions that'll get us kicked off and we'll see where that leaves us. Otherwise, be sure to head over to the Facebook group. It is appropriately named Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you'd like to call or text into the show, that phone number is 608-501-0718, 608-501-0718. That is not my real number. It goes straight to voicemail if you call, so there's nothing awkward that's going to go on. Just drop a line and uh, let her sit there. Also, once again, um, iTunes reviews. If you do have a minute, it really does help the show quite a bit. I saw a pretty big spike when we went from whatever it was, 65 iTunes reviews to over 100 now iTunes reviews. Uh, there was a spike in listeners. That's my goal. I want as many people listening as possible. Helps to get the word out. When people go to iTunes or whatever it is that they're looking for, and they type in Packers, and my show is at the bottom, not a lot of people are going to scroll all the way down there to find it. By the time they get down to four, five, six, they've found one or two that they like, and they're comfortable with that. I want to make sure when people search on iTunes or, or Google Play or whatever, so if you do have a moment to leave a review whether that be on iTunes or, by the way, on Stitcher, that is also welcome, or anywhere else that you know that you can leave an iTunes rating and review, please do so. And again, the incentive for that, if we get to 150 reviews on iTunes, pending some kind of family emergency or something, the plan will be to live stream the Packers draft. Um, I don't know, throw it up in the Facebook group, YouTube. I don't really know. I haven't figured out the logistics because the iTunes reviews haven't even budged, so I'm just not planning on it right now. But if you're interested in that, let's go ahead and do it. Get up to 150 before the draft, and I will live stream it. Have a little mini Packernet party. Maybe do a couple live call-ins. I don't know. We'll figure it out. And then, if we get to 200 iTunes reviews, I will be giving away a Pro Football Focus subscription. So got a little double bonus in there. If you'd like to be in the PFF uh, subscription giveaway, blah, 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 get us up to 200 after that, assuming we even get there, if we don't, then it just doesn't happen. But just to give you a preview, after that, I'm considering either or a PFF Elite subscription or maybe a Game Pass subscription. I think Game Pass would be pretty cool. It's also a little cheaper, so <laughs> that'll probably be the next thing. Also, I just wanted to say thank you once again. I forget to say thank you, and I need to do it more often to the uh, patrons. 
I think what I might do, if we don't get to 150, maybe I will just do a live stream for my Patreon subscribers. I don't know exactly how to do that, but I'll try to figure something out to where it's just, I don't know, behind a locked door somewhere, and I'll give all the Patreon subscribers that are interested access. Again, none of this is set in stone. It's just stuff that I'm mulling over right now. But either way, thank you guys so much for uh, for supporting the show. The link for that, by the way, is in the description. If there's any desire to support the show financially, I've got PayPal, Venmo, uh, Patreon, lots of different ways to throw a couple bucks. I know there's ads on the show now. That definitely is helping. But if you guys want to know what the Patreon money is going toward, it's kind of going toward things like this, right? Paying for giveaways, that's going to be coming out of this money. I ran an ad on Facebook just to see what would happen. That came out of Patreon money. So it's going toward the show. It's going to help to hopefully next year build out NFLBigBoard.com. It's helping to just grow the things that I do that make things better. Grow the podcast, help out the websites, expenses like my PFF subscription, my Game Pass subscription, every other subscription that I have. Those guys are the ones funding it. So I really appreciate all of you that have helped financially. And um, again, if you're interested, the options are there. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. So I think to start, I want to start with Jim from Florida once again. He called in and had a thought, and it's kind of funny because it ties into, I had a friend of mine I was talking to yesterday, and he was asking me a bunch of questions, and every time it just kind of came back to, man, I just don't know. And it's kind of funny because his question and Jim's question kind of come from opposite ends of the spectrum, and both answers to the question are, man, I just, I don't know, because everything's kind of blending together. Which kind of goes to what I was talking about before, where I just, maybe it's just me. I'm sure a lot of people see things differently. I tried to quantify it yesterday based on, you know, if these guys are here, then we take them. If they're not, we trade back. But it's really kind of blending. So for reference, the question that I got yesterday from my friend, and he he had several, but the sort of broad question was, what is sort of the disaster scenario? What is the thing that Gutekunst can do in this draft, you know, particularly round one or whatever, that's just going to make you go, oh, no. And I don't know that I really had it. I know most Packer fans have that guy, but the other other aspect of this is I just kind of trust Brian Gutekunst. If you think about last year, Jair Alexander, if you go back a month before the draft, probably right around now, Jair was a second-round guy. He was early second. Then Mike Mayock came out with his thing, and he only comes out once a year, and it's like his, 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 this big deal, this big reveal, which we're not getting this year because he's a GM. But Mayock came out and said, I think he said Jair is the top guy. And that just came, kind of came out of nowhere. Everybody knew Jair was pretty good, but he wasn't like a – maybe he was late first. He wasn't the top cornerback. Well, of course, now that Mayock says it, all the other geniuses with blue check marks say, oh, yeah, Jair is my number one. He's amazing, Jair. And then he starts getting mocked to the Packers. But this all just happened. So in most people's mind, Jair's still, you know, maybe he's kind of good. I don't know. But when you've been talking for three, four, five months about how Jair's like a second-ish round guy, and then the draft comes, and then the Packers trade up and select Jair Alexander with Josh Jackson still on the board, who's considered this great, you know, probably the second-best corner. It was just kind of like a, uh, okay. 
And I remember being at my friend's house and, you know, he kind of said, well, what do we think of that? And I just, it took me a minute because it wasn't the pick that I necessarily would have wanted. However, I trusted Brian Gutekunst, so it, it was it was sort of this weird thing where I wouldn't have made the pick, but I knew because Gutekunst made the pick, he's going to be pretty good. Does that kind of make sense? It's kind of like the Bill Belichick effect that me and a different friend were talking about several years ago, where anytime a transaction is made by Bill Belichick, everybody goes, oh man, he's going to be a freak. Because you just know Bill Belichick is a genius. Whereas, which isn't the case anymore, but you know, at the time we were talking about the Browns, anything that the Browns do, it doesn't matter what they get and who they acquire, it's always going to be looked at as, oh, these dummies. Because you just know that they make bad decisions, so it's kind of baked in a little bit. So with that in mind, the question is, who could Gutekunst pick? And let's just simplify it, because you can get crazy and say, well, maybe they trade all the way up to number one to take, you know, Singletary, right? I mean, okay, yeah, that would be bad, but let's try to keep it in the realm of realism. Who could they pick at 12 that would just make me say, why? I mean, of the of the pool. I mean, the, the one guy that kind of came to mind was Rashawn Gary, just because I don't see it on film. Again, not that I'm a scout, you know, I don't even like saying things like on film because it sort of implies like I'm in the in the know in the community and I'm just not. I just watch football like people who like to watch football watch football. And I just watched a guy that didn't seem very good at football. On the other hand, he does fit the mold of the guys that we just drafted. He came out of high school as one of the highest recruited players literally ever. Like you got Jadavian Clowney and like two other guys and then boom, Rashawn Gary. Freakish freakish athlete. So if Gutekunst made that pick, my thought is they just got a freak. Now I'm nervous, but it's similar to kind of the Jair thing where it's like, I probably wouldn't have made that pick, but why did Gutekunst make that pick? Clearly because they don't see everything that everybody's talking about where, well, I didn't see it so much in college. He's saying, you guys weren't looking at the right things. This guy's a freak. So it'd probably be a little anticlimactic, but it would just take me a minute to calm myself, think about it, and realize, okay, so he got the guy that they feel is the best. Why would they think he's the best if he's not? Oh, because they don't feel like a lot of people feel. They see the high upside that several people in the community do see, and we're getting basically another stud that can be outside-inside. I just shouldn't have a problem with that because now we have three, which makes a grand total of five of these guys across the front. You'll have, for example, Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, and Rashawn Gary on the inside, Preston and Zadarius Smith on the outside, nothing to complain about with um, Rashawn going back to the outside and being, you know, so we've just got this this rotation of guys so that we can always kind of have five pass-rushing studs, athletic freaks along the front, maybe that only applies to a few of them, but still, that are just getting the job done. So I, I would talk myself into it. So it, it, it's not, and the reason I'm talking about this is because there's always t- per people that I look at and say, ah, that would just be horrible. Like, I just want, like, these three, everybody else I'd hate. I just don't have that because everything, and that's kind of the beauty of what they've done by satisfying certain positions. Like, if that was the other portion of his question was, who is it that if they were available and we traded back, you would just be furious? I I just don't really have that. I know I kind of mentioned it in the podcast yesterday, but it's somewhat understandable. Like, if Brian Burns is there and we don't take him, if we hadn't gotten Preston and Zadarius, I would have been furious. But... A lot of these super freakish athletic high upside guys also have some question marks. And it seems like the freaky they are, freakier they are, the more questions they have. 
you know, Josh Allen, as, as well-rounded as he is, he's not the top pass-rushing prospect. Nick is a better pass rusher. Brian Burns is a better pass rusher. I think Josh Allen would be the third best pass rusher, but he's a little bit more well-rounded. He's maybe a little bit better of a run defender, not than Nick Bosa at all, maybe than Brian Burns, but also what he does in coverage. So he's kind of a, you know, whatever. Would I like to take him? Yes. If we don't get him, am I going to freak out because Josh Allen's a freak? No. Like I've said for the longest time, when he was at 12, I loved Josh Allen. If we were still talking about Josh Allen the way we talk about Brian Burns, I'd be like, yeah, I would love to get him at 12. Do I think he's a good value at three? No, I don't at all. I think there's a a very good case to be made that Brian Burns is better than Josh Allen. I've been saying that since December Um, at Oliver, right? Obviously, there's no question why if he goes super, super early like three, you can kind of see it. But there's also, if he were there at 12 and we didn't take him and trade it back, I'm not going to freak out about it. He's a better fit in a 4-3 system. He cannot two-gap, which is a requirement in a uh, 3-4 system. He's not a good run defender. Absolute freakish athlete, absolutely. Rotational piece, you could drop into coverage, you can put him on the edge to be, you know, kind of whatever. Great pass rusher on the inside, but I think he has to be a rotational player because you don't want him out there on third and one, and that's not a great situation to be in when you draft a guy super early in the first round to be a situational pass rusher uh, on the inside. Now, maybe that's not entirely true, but I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, if we didn't take Ed Oliver... 90% of Packers Twitter would riot in the street, and I'd be sitting there going, okay, that just tells me what their impression of Ed Oliver is. Because again, I'm not looking at this like I'm the expert and I expect Gutekunst to do everything. I'm just looking at it as their decisions tell me what they believe about these prospects. If Ed Oliver is there at 12 and they trade back, it means they don't feel, either they don't feel Ed Oliver is a great value at 12, or they feel like Ed Oliver is one of the great players available out of, let's say, five. But again, that just means he's not in a category of his own. He's just kind of in that next tier. Him and Montez and Devin White and all these other guys are just kind of blended together. You know, Devin White, super freakish, also quite a few question marks. Montez Sweat, unbelievably freakish. Still some question marks, though. Would I be super jacked if we got him? Yeah, probably, because it tells me that all those concerns, Gutekunst isn't really worried about, and they feel like he's just going to be a freak. So all I see is the upside and say, yep, that's what we're getting. Because Gutekunst wouldn't have taken him otherwise. If he just sees the floor and says this is kind of what he's going to be in the NFL and the upside isn't really going to translate, he wouldn't have taken him. So yeah, I'd be super jacked if we took him, and I wouldn't be upset if we traded back when he was there. Jonah Williams, again, eh, not my favorite pick. It's kind of boring offensive line, right? But if they take him, why wouldn't you be excited? Because what what Gutekunst is telling you is, guess what we got? We just got a freakish right guard for this season, and next season we have our right tackle situation completely figured out. Jonah Williams is going to be the tackle of the future. That's great news. Same thing with Juwan Taylor. Even DK Metcalf. Again, my opinion, it is what it is. I would love to have DK, but also, again, it's kind of a question of, Gutekunst, what do you think? If we don't take him, it's because he's just not super freakish. If we do then that upside, that sort of Megatron-esque ability, is sort of what we're drafting. Now, granted, if, if I think if Gutekunst thought he was Megatron, we'd probably trade up and get him. But still, again, there's, there's the two competing things. There's, is he a freak or is he a bust? Or somewhere in between. If we take him at 12, we're obviously leaning toward freak with the, uh, you know, and, and clearly he would have talked to the coaches and everything else and just kind of made sure that we were on the same page saying, listen, Here's his abilities. Here's his inability. What can we do with this guy? 
they drew a picture in their minds of what he can do on this offense, and they feel like he is the best option available. And again, if we're talking about guys like TJ Hawkinson, if we're talking about guys like, I don't know, um, Kyler, or excuse me, Montez Sweat, um, Devin White, these guys are available, and we take DK Metcalf rather than freaking out and going, we should have got Montez Sweat. Take a minute and realize what Gutekunst is trying to tell you about DK Metcalf and get excited about that. Now, listen, you handle it how you want. If you want to come at it from the standpoint of, listen, I've put in a lot of work, and these are my opinions, and I want to ride those opinions out, even in competition with Brian Gutekunst, so far as to say, I think you're dumb because my opinion... That's fine. That's, I mean, it's your offseason. You enjoy it the way you want to enjoy it. I'm just saying, as somebody who doesn't take my own opinions more seriously than I should, which is to say, I believe in my opinions but nowhere near as much as I believe in Gutekunst and his army of people to come to conclusions about not only who are good players and who are bad players, but how does that tie into specifically the Green Bay Packers. So when they make a pick, there's going to be an instant reaction, which is either positive or negative, and then I'm going to just not say anything for a minute and figure out why I need to be excited about this. You know, Cleland Furl would be another guy. It's like, ah, I just don't like this guy. But, again, what I said on about him and pro football focus is incredibly flattering his ability to get after the passer is just unbelievable so again what is that telling you about him he is the best guy on the board he was probably a top 10 player on the packers board again unless it just falls exactly like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten at worst you're getting the 12th best player but more than likely somebody fell i mean if two quarterbacks go you've got at least the 10th best player probably a little bit higher you know hawkinson I mean, if they take Hawkinson at 12, not only does that tell you that they think Hawkinson's great, but again, positionally, tight ends are not valued very high. If Hawkinson goes at 12, this guy has to be just a freak in their minds. Because if he's the 12th best player and the 13th best player, who is just maybe just a, a rabbit hair beneath where TJ Hawkinson is, you're going to take the pass rusher because it's more important of a position. So he's got to be far and away better and just in their mind, he's just the next Gronk or something. So again, reasons to get excited. Another thing that would cause a lot of people to freak out, but not me quite as much as I've talked about, cornerback. If Byron Murphy goes 12, a lot of people are going to freak out. Why shouldn't you freak out? Because he just passed on Ed Oliver. He just passed on whoever, whoever, whoever. All these guys that you think they should get. Understand again, he's saying Byron Murphy is better than all of them. Meaning, Byron Murphy could possibly be the number one corner on this team, making Jair number two, Kevin King number three, whatever. Imagine two Washington cornerbacks, Kevin King and Byron Murphy out on the boundary, with Byron Murphy being our lockdown corner and Jair in the slot. And then in in two wide receiver sets, we got Jair Alexander and Byron Murphy, again, with Jair being our second best cornerback. You're telling me that's not a valuable thing to have? That's awesome. Now, is it going to work out? I don't know. We can play that game all day long. He can get at Oliver and we can panic about how this isn't going to work out and he's not going to he's going to end up being a bust. Anybody can bust out. I'm just looking at what is what is Brian Gutekunst telling us about this player? And the expectation if he makes a pick at 12 is that he got a top 10 player out of the entire draft class. That's awesome. That's something to get excited about. Same with Devin Bush, you know, Cody Ford, Andre Dillard, any of these guys. And it's possible, which kind of led me to to wonder, who is the second-round guy or late-first-round guy that could end up getting taken that early that's just going to make us go, oh, what are you doing? But another thing to understand is that just means we've had it wrong all along, 
right? That's what that's what that meant about Jair. If if, if Mike Mayock hadn't come out with his mock draft that said Jair was his top corner or whatever. He might have been second. I don't remember. I think it was top corner. Either way, he was the one that really pushed this whole thing, and then everybody followed suit. If Mike Mayock hadn't done that, we probably would have taken a guy that everybody thought was a second-round corner, and everybody would have been upset. The only reason everybody got excited is because we had just recently learned he was really good, because Mayock set us all straight. We had it wrong the whole time. If we take Jerry Tillery at 12, that's telling us a lot about Jerry Tillery, which, by the way, is, I really like Jerry Tillery. You know, Garrett Bradbury, Nasir Adderley. If we get one of these safeties, if we get Nasir Adderley at 12, a lot of people are going to be upset. But again, why? Why are you taking Nasir Adderley? Why wouldn't you take Fant or Hawkinson or Devin Bush or, or Brian Burns or whoever it is that's available? If, can you imagine the meltdown that would occur if Nasir Adderley goes before Brian Burns? But again, Gutekunst will not take Nasir Adderley at 12 if he values him at 33. If he takes Nasir Adderley at 12, what does that tell us about Nasir Adderley from the, from the concept or from the, the mind of Brian Gutekunst? He could be right, he could be wrong, but this guy who's very good at this, with the help of an, an army of scouts, with the help of a guy like Milt Hendrickson, who is one of the, the, the great minds in college scouting that the Packers have been trying to poach for a long time. They finally got him over here. He's going to come in and help. The guy who, by the way, helped build the Baltimore Ravens defense, which is one of the best defenses last year. This guy has a great mind for, for college scouting, but especially with, with defense. If this group says Nasir Adderley is the best available guy and we're not going to trade back, think about that as well. If you can trade back, and, and Nasir's probably still there or whatever, he's not only saying he is the best guy, but he's saying, number two, there's a good chance we're not going to get him if we trade back even like five spots. And number three, even if there is a decent chance, no way on this planet we're going to risk it. we got to get our guy. That should give us all pause, even if we're, our instant reaction is, what? No! Why did you do that? Just remember not to react. And if I do a live stream, that's going to be the biggest challenge for me is to not freak out but to just kind of pause, think, and go, okay, so he's a freak then. And then what does that mean for this defense? Again, they view him as a top 10 guy. Now, obviously, I have no idea. Maybe they see him as a third-round guy. I don't know what they're... I'm just giving you an example. What does that do? What does that mean for this defense to not only add a safety next to Amos, but a guy that they believe conceivably could be better than Adrian Amos as our, as our you know, free safety, strong safety, interchange, however they want to use him, that's awesome. So again, this is why when, when somebody asks a question, what would be a disaster? I just, I really don't have an answer. There are certain things that are going to be more exciting than others. But to be completely honest, it's almost more exciting. If you look at it from the perspective that I'm telling you to look at it, it's almost more exciting for them to take Nasir Adderley at 12 than to take Brian Burns at 12. Because Brian Burns is just kind of like, yeah, well, that's kind of what we knew. It doesn't mean anything different. I mean, it's whoever's better they're going to take. It's just a matter of, are they going to tell us what we've already known, or are they going to tell us something that we never thought of before? Again, it's just a different way of looking at it. You know, what if they take Dalton Reisner? Could they possibly, I mean, well, okay. How about this one? Jeffrey Simmons. <laughs> oh, man, that would upset us. Because, and the, the interesting thing about Jeffrey Simmons is, you can be upset about That is the one where I will give you an excuse to be upset, although I get it. You can be upset because you know that there is a negative. You know what the negative is, and the negative is he may not play at all this year. Everybody else is going to play. It's just a matter of how good they're going to be. With Jeffrey Simmons, he's not going to play at the very earliest. He'll come in at the end of the year, which would be super beneficial come 
playoff time. But that would be a reason for some people to just lose their minds. Man, I really now I want to do a live stream with Collins because after I want to get a bunch of reactions. That would be fun, man. We should just do it. But I want 150 first, otherwise it's going to be me and Patreon folks. So yeah, that's that's sort of where I'm at. There are certain people that I feel like shouldn't be valued at 12. There are certain people I feel like we shouldn't trade back if they're available. There are certain people I feel like we shouldn't trade up to get, and that might be one of the the hardest ones to swallow. Like if we trade it up, um, see, I, I don't even, even that's tough. Like if we trade it up to get Montez Sweat, would I be mad? No, I wouldn't. In in my mind, am I telling you today that we should trade up for Montez Sweat? No. If we do, though, what's the first thing that's going to come to your mind? It's the combine and everything he did in the combine, and you realize this is maybe one of the freakish, freakiest pass rushers that has ever run through the combine. And now he's going to be on our team. His upside is through the roof, and the Packers view his upside, so again, really, really hard. But, you know, if we trade up to get Devin White, you know, whatever, I don't know. Trade up to get Jonah Williams. It's that that would maybe be one of those. Yeah, okay, I guess I'll put the positive spin on it either way. Because again, it's just what is that communicating to us about his skill set? But is it going to get me super jacked up and excited? No, we lost a draft pick. We got a guy that I was kind of on the fence about. Anyways, it's an offensive lineman. It's just filling a void that isn't even voided yet. In other words, he's just going to come in and hopefully be what Brian Balaga has been. So it's not really so much of an upgrade. Except, well, this year it'll be an upgrade if he plays guard. But then next year he's just going to replace somebody. So it's just going to be keeping us from falling as opposed to upgrading. So I guess there's there's an excitement factor to a pick. And then there's the how good of a pick it is. And the answer, the, the honest answer, we know the answer. Nobody knows how good of a pick it is. And we can speculate on that. We can you know, go over the positives and the negatives, the upside, the floor, which are different things to look at. You know, do we want a high floor? Do we want a high ceiling? Can we try to maximize both? Do we want something a little bit in the middle? Just a solid football player that has a really high floor, but doesn't have, you know, you know what you're going to get from them. You know, super excitement as far as like, you know, maximum excitement would be trading way up. If, if Quinnen Williams or Nick Bosa falls to three and we trade up to three, you just see that Packers logo, it's freak out time. Right, because everybody on the planet knows what's going to happen. If Quinn and Williams, if 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 uh, quarterback goes as is expected to happen, Haskins goes number one, Nick Bosa goes number two, and and then you, then you see the Packers logo come up. Maybe okay, I've got it. This is the one situation where I'm disappointed. If that happens, Haskins goes number one, Bosa goes number two. Packers logo shows up and you see a trade and we're waiting and we're saying it's going to be Quinnen, it's going to be Quinnen, it's going to be Quinnen, and we get Rashawn Gary, Ed Oliver, anybody but Quinnen Williams, I'm going to kick a computer. I'm going to demand donations so that I can put my foot through my, my television screen and then run out and buy one real quick to watch the rest of the draft. Just like a few hundred bucks. Doesn't need to be a big one. I don't have a big TV as it is. That would that would send me into crazy. Now again, you can still apply that same logic. You can say, okay, we traded up and we got Rashawn Gary. What does that tell us about their view of Rashawn Gary? But that's going to be really, really, really hard for me to look at and say, yeah, I think that was the right decision because I trust. Good trust is going to be a real issue with that kind of a pick. But even that, I'm I'm putting sort of in crazy town territory. But that's the only thing I can think of. If Nick Bosa and Quinton Williams are available and we're picking and we take somebody else, kind of the only disastrous scenario that I can really think of. Because we lose picks for a guy that we were kind of waiting on at 12 and figured maybe we wouldn't even take at 12. And, you know, but again, that's not going to happen. 
Oh, see, now I'm scared. <laughs> All right, so with that now, getting into Jim's question, because I don't know how much more I can elaborate, but let, let's get to Jim's question. Essentially, it was this. It was the Packers went big in free agency. He, he specifically referenced Preston Smith by saying we went big by getting a guy who played, you know, 16 games throughout his regular career. He played throughout his college career without any injuries. So for him, that was kind of the big thing. Either way, the overall message was we went big in free agency. I want to go big in the draft. And I kind of don't know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but for me personally, I can't create that other than a trade-up for Quinn and Urbosa. I, I guess big is kind of relative. It, it kind of depends. I mean, trading back can be big because you're acquiring more picks. In my mind, that is big. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, what, what else could be big? Getting, maybe, you know, maybe reaching a little bit or, or not paying attention to positional value, getting that that stud linebacker in the middle, regardless of, okay, you don't usually take a linebacker here. I don't care. We're going to get our guy. You know, let's say the Lions get Devin White. So now the Lions have Devin White. The Bears have Roquan Smith. The, the Vikings retained Barr, who I don't think is very good, but let's just play along here. So everybody's got their stud linebacker. Technically, I think Martinez is better than Barr already, but let's just pretend they have studs. We're going to go out and get Devin Bush. You know why? Because I want a stud. Maybe that could be seen as going big. DK Metcalf. We're going big, man. We're going to get our, our, our Megatron guy. We're going to get uh, TJ Hawkinson. Not a great positional value. I don't care. We're going big. Maybe that could be a going big kind of thing. In other words, maximum output, maximum improvement, maximum, you know, whatever. Whereas a pass rusher, how much of an improvement is that when he's rotational would be kind of, I, I don't, I, again, I don't know. I, I, I think everything you're doing is with the assumption of going big because everybody's trying to maximize their draft. How do I get the most value out of the value that I have? In other words, the way I always view the draft is everybody comes in with different dollars, different dollar amounts. Right? The Bears are coming in with 48 cents because they don't, they don't have any picks. But still, with that 48 cents, they're going to do the best they can to come in with 48 cents and leave with a dollar. That's what everybody's trying to do. The Packers have a lot of money. They got 50 bucks. Let's just say, I don't know, I'm making things up. But even so, if, if, if the Bears go in with 48 cents and leave with a dollar, we go in with, with 50 bucks and come out with $28, the Bears did better than the Packers did. Even though we overall have more money, we squandered it. We wasted it. If we have $50, we got to try to maximize that. Come out with $60, $80. It's hard to quantify that, but that is the goal of every single team. Take the value that you have and maximize it. Come out with more than you came in with. And that's essentially what happens when you trade, because if you think about everything in terms of, of value and try to quantify value, right? That's why the draft trade, the, the trade value charts are, are, I like them. And if I could quantify a player, and that's one of the things I would love to do is quantify the value of a player and tie that to the draft trade value chart so that it's comparable, so that you can look at it and say, this is not a good value for this, right? That this player is worth, so let's say our first pick is, is like $10, like the the 12th overall pick is like $10. It's a huge chunk of our total do dollar amount, total money. And the, the next available guy on the board is worth $8. I don't want to lose money. I want to trade back. So if I can trade back and get, you know, $7 and $3 and just break even to hope to, hope to get a little bit. So let's say I break even and we, the trade is even. So they get $10, we get 7 and 3 
So then we come down, and there's still eights available. See what I'm saying? So there's still eights on the board. So I take my $7, and I still get an eight. I've now increased my money. So I have 51 total dollars. If you include the $8 valued player, as well as the 53 other dollars that I still have. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to maximize the total value that I have when I leave. I really want to work on that. I don't know how to make that happen, but I got to make that happen. So I, I guess, Jim, two thoughts. Number one, I think if, if, if you want to say something specific, you should say something specific and I can give my opinion on it. In other words, what does go big mean to you? Which could be a good Packernet question of the day if you want to throw it up on Twitter or the Facebook group. Be sure to get in the Facebook group. Let me know what that means to you. What is What would going big mean to you? Is it a trade up, a trade back? Is it a specific player? Is a go big move? Is it trade up to get, you know, Ed Oliver or whatever? What in your mind would, would tell you that Brian Gutekunst is going all in? Like this is a big move. Right? Like Jonah Williams, maybe we could say isn't a big move because it's it's more about building for the future. What's a big move in your mind? And maybe that's big to you. I don't know. But that would be the question. What what is what does big mean? I think I had I said two things and that's only one, and I don't remember what the other is. But that would be the thing. You, you, I got to know what that means. Go big. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. All right, a, a kind of pivoting off of that now, because that's all, I mean, you can attack that question from several, you know, what would be horrible, what would be awesome, what would be exciting, what would be boring, what would be, you know, it all kind of blends together. And again, I'm interested in your thoughts on all of those different things. What 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 is defined in your mind? Because it's it's getting hard for me to define certain things. It's all starting to blend. What would be a great thing? What would be a terrible thing? What can you say definitively like that? But moving on from that, the other thing that I've thought, you know, we've kind of talked about specific things happening in certain ways. And again, I want to sort of branch out a little bit and look at things a little bit differently. So we've talked a little bit about offensive line, but almost not at all. Basically, the question is, would you be okay with Jonah Williams at 12? Yes or no? And then we've kind of moved on. So I actually, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about offensive line. And then again, kind of utilizing those first three picks, just again, to kind of give us an intro. So intro to offensive line. So I want to start off with Jonah Williams. He's a guy that uh, we keep talking about. Um, I'm not even entirely sure that he is considered the top offensive lineman. He is still on my board, I believe. But uh, he keeps dropping and everybody else keeps falling. So it becomes kind of this just pile from, you know, 10-ish to 35-ish, 40-ish. That There's just a big pile of guys. But if we pull up our handy-dandy PFF chart here, Jonah Williams comes in at 6'4", 302 pounds. Now, he's the typical case of his arms aren't quite as long as everybody would like, therefore he should play guard. Every year, 90% of tackles get told they should play guard, 
and then those people get made fun of primarily by David Bakhtiari. We don't really know. Having long arms is pretty important. There is some truth to it. But at the end of the day, it always just comes down to can you do the job that you're asked to do? Some people can overcome stuff, right? Quarterbacks are supposed to be a certain height because if you're too short, then you can't see over the lineman. Well, some people make it work despite the fact that it is, in fact, a handicap. But the fact of the matter is the typical standard for a tackle's arm length is uh, 33 inches. He came in at 33 and 5 eighths inches, so shouldn't be an issue. It's not like a disqualifying thing where he has to play guard, but some people are still saying that he should swing inside, whatever. But here's what we got. PFF graded him as an 89.2, which is basically elite. He's one of the few people that graded up that high. Uh, like I said, I have a list of all the 90s, and I went down into the 89s. I've got probably, what, like 30 people now? Pretty good, again, considering hundreds and hundreds of prospects on here. So Alabama tackle. Uh, the one thing that I really like, and I know, again, this is one of the weird quirks with me, I really, really want to get better at run blocking. The Packers are just like every other team in the NFL where they primarily are looking for pass blockers. If they have talented linemen, they are talented in pass blocking. Very few teams have multiple good run blockers. Packers, I don't think, have one, including David Bakhtiari. He's fine, but he's he's an elite pass blocker and just a okay run blocker. Now, how much of this translates to the NFL, I don't know, but Jonah Williams had an 88.6 grade pass blocking, which is pretty solid, and an 83.6 grade run blocking, which... This is kind of a good proportion for me. He's a better pass blocker than a run blocker, but still a good run blocker. Factor in what people have to say about him, about being powerful, which is good in run blocking, but also agile and fast, which can help in run blocking, especially in outside zone, but also helps as a pass blocker. So he's got all the tools that you want, which I think is why he's so popular. He's got the size that you want. He has the arms that you want. He's got the the weight. Well, he's, he's 302 pounds, which isn't very big, but he's got good feet. He's got good power. And the funny thing is, if you look over at the Draft Network, uh, Marino, Krabs, and Ledyard all put out their, uh, you know, scouting report on them. The worst trait for all three, with one exception by John Ledyard, but all three of them did say length was his worst trait. Which is a trait, but as far as, you know, if, if you accept him for his size and his length, the fact that that's the one knock and there's really nothing else. Uh, Ledyard said functional strength, which kind of flies in the face of what other people had said. Because if you look at, for example, Kyle Krabs said the uh, power at the point of attack, which maybe isn't exactly strength, but uh, the fact that that was listed by Kyle Krabs as his best trait. I don't know. I mean, it seems like a, a, a solid pick. A guy that has all the tools that you want, athletic. He's got power, solid against the run, solid against the pass. Uh, looking specifically at some of the more in-depth stats. First of all, at the spider chart, he's, he's on the outside spec. I mean, he is... Basically elite in all these. First of all, overall grade, he's one of the tops. Pass block grade is very high. Run block rate is very high. Screen block rate is very high, which is probably going to be important. Pass blocking efficiency is very high, which I'll get to those specific metrics in a, a second. Total pressure percentage is fairly high. And then positive run block percentage is also very high. The two areas where he was low, penalties percentage which is funny because somebody pointed out that Brian Balaga has too many penalties, so it would almost be like we're replacing Balaga with Balaga, right? And then the other one, which was very, very low, which was below average, the only metric that he had below average was avoids negative run block percentage, which seems counterintuitive because positive run block percentage is so high, but they're, they're talking about two different things. And it sounds almost as if we're talking about boom or bust, right? Because if a large percentage of the time the, there was a positive run block, and then there's also a very large percentage of the time where he does not avoid a negative run block, which is to say, you know, the, the run got blown up because he messed up a run block. Sounds very boom or bust. 
So let me look at some of these advanced stats here. Starting with his worst, there's five metrics. We'll go from his worst to his best. His worst was run block success percentage, 89.2% of the time. Still relatively high, but again, similar to what we talk about with defensive line where the percentages kind of add up. If you've got 11% of the time you're messing up and causing the run plate to fall apart, we've got five other guys. If everybody has 10% of the time-ish where they're kind of ruining a run play across five guys, that's way too many unsuccessful run plays across five linemen. Um, his next worst grade is snaps per bull rush pressure. So they've got three different pressures that they, they measure. There's outside, bull rush, and inside, which is just three different areas. Somebody tries to run around you, somebody tries to run through you, somebody tries to run inside of you, and how does he do with, do with all of these things? So his second worst metric out of all of these, three of which are, are about pressure, is bull rush pressure. So somebody just smacking him right in the mouth, which a little bit scary when you think about Khalil Mack on that side. If Khalil Mack is just trying to run through him and he struggles with that a little bit, that could be a problem. Now, that isn't to say he's bad at it. He ranked 50, 58th. I'm just saying it's his second worst. But 58th, again, a, 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 across all of these candidates isn't bad. Well, I, I guess maybe it's average. I don't know how many tackles there are. Um, his next, I guess, best metric is inside pressure. So somebody stunning to the inside. This is where having a good guard would help out. But he ranked 48th. Um, the number they have is 68.9, which I guess is sort of irrelevant. But then his, if we get to his second best attribute, it's pass blocking efficiency. Overall pass blocking efficiency, he was eighth in the nation, 98.7. So overall, as far as pass blocking is concerned, he graded out very well. And a big part of the reason, his best attribute, snaps per outside pressure, 241, which is to say it was t once every 241 snaps, somebody's able to get around him on the outside, which actually is the exact same number as bull rush pressure. I think it's just that most of the time other people handle bull rush pressure better than, than uh, outside pressure, but with Jonah, it's kind of the same. So it's still the same metric. Once every 241 times attempted, only, only one time you're actually going to get a pressure. But he ranked third in the nation, which really just goes to kind of show that athleticism, right? You, you get the speed guys trying to run around you, which, by the way, just a, a little aside here, this is why I'm worried about guys who primarily are just speed guys. Because if you can just win by doing that and you get a tackle who's really good at that, I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem with Kyler Fackrell. Right, if his, his one asset is speed, he can devour a guy that's just kind of flat-footed. Now, maybe you get a real powerful guy that you're never going to bull rush him. You're not going to be able to beat him to the inside. But you can beat him once every, I don't know, 40 or 50 times around the outside. You just keep running around the outside. Eventually, you're going to get him. But with, with guys like this, I mean, again, if speed is your one thing and you get a fast tackle, you got nothing. So, good to have a guy like Jonah on the squad. Looking at Juwan Taylor, PFF is uh, far less impressed by him. They gave him an 80 overall grade, 6'5", 312 pounds, big dude. I will say, though, looking at his advanced stats, um, his, his spider chart is hilarious. Go over to Twitter if you want to see it, because I just posted a picture of it. It is basically an arrow pointing straight up, which is just funny. And yes, I made the joke that you would have expected with something like that. But we'll, we'll look at his spider chart here. Uh, his real big high numbers, overall grade, run block grade, positive run block grade, total pressure percentage, pass blocking efficiency percentage. Um, two very, 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 very low grades. I'm talking bottom of the barrel screen blocking grade and penalties percentage. The two kind of in between are pass block grade and avoids negative run block percentage. But basically, the picture that I'm seeing from this, if I just had to guess with a six foot five, 312 pound guy 
who does fine, great run blocker, positive run block grade, but no ability as, as a screen blocker. It's just screaming to me, kind of heavy-footed guy. Now, that isn't what's being said about him. I'm just reading the stats and, and kind of drawing my own conclusion. But here is what, uh, let's see, Kyle Krabs had to say about his functional athleticism. Superb, is nimble for his size and shows sudden acceleration into the second level, or when needing to press up the field to pick up, uh, pick off second-level defender. So that doesn't really jive very well with the fact that he was graded maybe the worst in the nation as a screen blocker. But we'll leave that be, because they don't have advanced metrics on that, they just have grades on that. As far as his grades as a pass blocker, 79, which is average to good. Uh, run blocking grade 82. So they do view him a little bit better as a run blocker than as a pass blocker. Uh, the one positive thing, if you look at his advanced stats, he doesn't have anything super high like number three outside pass rush like Jonah did, but he doesn't have anything really low either. His worst rank is his run block success percentage of 92.4. He ranked 26th, which is pretty solid. His next worst snaps per outside pressure, which is 16th. So again, I get, these are all good metrics. But again, his worst attribute is outside pressure. Again, what is that? That's your athleticism and your overall speed. You look at inside pressure as his next best, which is 14th, and then he's tied for 10th in pass blocking efficiency and bull rush pressure. I'm just, again, I'm getting the picture of a just a exact opposite of Jonah, right? What's the hardest way to attack Juwan Taylor? A bull rush. You try to bull rush him, I mean, he's just going to stonewall you. He's too big. He's too strong. Inside pressure is also going to be a little bit tough. He's going to handle that. You start talking about space where somebody tries to run to the outside. Again, he's good, but this is his worst attribute. Once every 96th pressure, as compared to bull rush, which is once every 383rd pressure. I forgot to do this with Jawan here, but uh, his total stats, first of all, 12 penalties, which is terrible. He only had five the year before and five the year before that, so maybe 12 is an anomaly, but that's pretty terrible. He only allowed one sack which it was six sacks, three sacks, and then one sack, which is great. Zero quarterback hurry, or, uh, hits and then eight hurries. So that's nine total pressures. You look at, uh, you know, the, the divide that by his pass blocking snaps, which is 364, and we're looking at about 2%. So again, you look at it from the opposite spectrum, which is I want a pass rusher that's getting there like 10% of the time or more, but I want to tackle that's allowing 2% of the pressures. There's a big gap in between, and you can see why certain guys like this are looked at as first-round prospects, because he's only allowing 2% of the time somebody's getting to the quarterback. And the vast majority are hurries, only only one sack, uh, eight hurries, and zero hits. It's 0.2% of the time, which is to say two sacks per thousand is what he gives up, or one sack per 500 attempts. Well, technically 364, right? It's 0.27 is what it is. Still, it's it's a ridiculously low number. Let's check Jonah Williams really quick just so I have that reference. So Jonah Williams gave up zero sacks, which is awesome, which is also something to keep in context, right? We talk about pressure percentage, but also it matters uh, what kind of a pressure we're talking about, which is where pass blocking efficiency, I think, comes in. And for reference, Jonah's eighth, Jawana's tenth. But just looking at the raw percentage, zero sacks, two hits, and ten hurries. Divide that by his 466 pass blocking snaps, and it's 2.57. So similar. 2.47 for Jawan, 2.57 for Jonah. That's solid. I mean, guys just didn't get anywhere. I mean, he, he had zero sacks in 2018, one sack in 2017. In the last two years, he's given up one sack. That's insane. 
He gave up four sacks in 2016, so in his three-year college career, he gave up five total sacks. That's just kind of crazy. Again, not hard to see why a lot of people see him as a top 10 prospect, right? Um, In the interest of time, I'm just going to look at the only other offensive tackle that I currently have in the top 32, and that's Mr. Andre Dillard out of Washington State. Now, Andre Dillard had an 85.1 overall grade, 6'5", 315 pounds, so similar build to Juwan Taylor, uh, you know, in-between grade as far as, you know, being between uh, Juwan and Jonah. Again, remember that they don't compensate or adjust for competition level. Also, something else to keep in mind when I talked with Chris Landry about Washington State and how much they love to pass, because last year we drafted somebody from Washington State. I asked if that was a benefit. He said no, because Washington State has a completely different offensive system than the NFL system, meaning he's going to have to relearn a lot of things. So just something to keep in the back of your mind, but a good tackle is a good tackle. Um, something else to keep in mind, uh, the, the reason I brought that up is because Washington State just passes. That's pretty much all they ever do. For reference, as I said, Jawan Taylor had 300 and some pass-blocking snaps. Jonah Williams had 400 and something. Um, for the last three years as a tackle, Andre Dillard has had 700 or over 700 pass-blocking snaps compared to being in the 200s for run-blocking snaps. So we're talking like 70%. This, this dude does nothing but pass protect all day, every day. It's what he does. Now, looking at his grade split up, again, 85 overall grade, but his run-blocking is a 72.8. So if we're just looking for an athletic guy that you know maybe isn't the greatest run-blocker, but is a freakishly athletic and freakishly talented pass-blocker, 94 pass blocking grade last year 91.6 the year before that 93.8 he's never been anything but a freak pass blocker which is probably by why washington state was interested in him because this is just what they do uh if you if you look at the the draft network there's four people that broke him down almost every single one of them said his best trait was mobility or something of that uh, you know saying that in some way or another worst trait is always going to be something in regard to either run blocking or strength which again is sort of what you would expect this is this is a all they do is pass over there. So being athletic, being a pass blocker, that's what you have to be. Being a run blocker, being powerful, he's not that. So is this my kind of guy? Not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I would like somebody that can run block better than Andre Dillard is probably going to be able to. Six five three zero six. if I didn't say that. Now, it's still going to be beneficial because you want that sort of athleticism. You know, outside zone, you got to be able to move even as a tackle. Also, getting up to the next level is going to be somewhat important. Screen game, all that kind of stuff. For reference, also, he ran a 49640, which I know isn't the most important thing, but that was the uh, fourth best of anybody and the number one or the fastest time of any tackle in the class. One of only four that was under five seconds. Um, Dillard tied for 14th in the vertical jump at uh, 29 inches. He was number one in the broad jump at nine foot, nine feet, 10 inches. He came in second only after Garrett Bradbury, another athletic freak, um, in the three cone drill. He was number one and by a lot in the 20-yard shuttle. For reference, if we start at number 10 and go back, 458, 457, 454, 454, 453, 453, 452, 452, 450, and then 44 for Andre Dillard. So we, we drop from number 10, 458, to 452 to get to the top three, 450 to get to number two, and then 44 flat for Andre Dillard. That's kind of crazy. So very, very, very athletic. Um, if you look at his spider chart, pretty much exactly what you'd expect. It's just a chart that is pretty much just cut in half. Overall grade, pass block grade. His run block grade wasn't great, wasn't bad. Screen block grade was very high. Pass blocking efficiency was very high. 
total pressure percentage very high. Penalties were pretty low. Positive run block percentage was relatively low. Avoids negative run block percentage extremely low. Now, if you look at his ranking, run block percent, uh, percentage or success percentage, as you would expect, is low. He ranked 84th. I shouldn't say it's low. 88.8% of the time he succeeded, but relatively low. If you look at his uh, next best attribute, snap, snaps per inside pressure, 106.9 per snap. Excuse me, 106.9 snaps per pressure, 21st in the nation. Exact same number for outside pressure, in which he ranked 12th. So 12th in the nation for outside pressure, because again, that athleticism kind of comes in handy. He was 6th in the nation for pass blocking efficiency, 98.9. Number one in the nation in snaps per bull rush pressure, which is cool because he's not seen as like a super powerful guy, but he was number one in the nation in bull rush pressure. You want to know how many he gave up? Zero. 700 total snaps, zero pressures given up in terms of bull rush. Now, I kind of wonder if there's something to that metric. I'm not really sure. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the, the offensive line tends to kind of roll out and, and move a lot, so it's kind of hard to, to just straight up bull rush him. I'm not really sure, but he didn't give up a single bull rush pressure. In terms of his total pressures, he gave up um, one sack, three hits, and 11 hurries. Seems a little bit higher than some of the other guys. Well, one sack isn't bad at all, but the 11 hurries, it's 15 total pressures, which again, seems kind of high-ish, but again, remember, 722 pass blocking snaps. We're talking maybe double the amount that a guy like Jawan Taylor got. So we're talking about 2.07%, which is lower than Jonah and Jawan Taylor. So really, you've got somewhat of a spectrum between the three. If you want the best pass blocker, a guy that's just going to be super athletic, he's got to be able to move, he's got to get up to the next level, he's got to be able to do all these different things, pull and swing and, and you know guard coming around the outside, all that kind of motion stuff, you're looking at Andre Dillard. If you want somebody that's a little bit more well-rounded, a guy that's a good pass blocker, plenty of athleticism, a good amount of power, a decent run blocker, you want Jonah Williams. And then on the other hand, if you want somebody that has the abilities as far as being functional athletically, which, again, if you talk to the Draft Network, they're saying I'm talking out of my eyeball. I don't know what I'm talking about because Jawan is plenty athletic. But I think if you're if you're wanting somebody that's a good pass blocker, but is maybe a little bit more on the power side, big, powerful, good chance he's a very good run blocker, but also can handle the pass blocking. I think Jawan Taylor is kind of the guy. That's just sort of the takeaway I've gotten. I know, again, if, if you have been listening to the Draft Network or other people or whatever, that's not their takeaway. They would probably tell you Jawan is more athletic than Jonah, but I'm just telling you based on the stats that I'm looking at, that's sort of the breakdown. And for me personally, that makes me sort of a Jonah guy. Pass blocking is the most important, but you have to be able to run block. I'm worried about uh, Andre Dillard's ability to run block, so I don't know that he would be my favorite. Um, and then, you know, again, Jawan Taylor, you know, what's his ability going to be as far as, you know, again, outside pressure? That was his 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 worst category, as whereas Jonah, that's his best category. So, yeah, I would say I'm a, a more of a Jonah Williams fan of the three. But, again, sort of what we started this podcast talking about, Whoever we take, if we took Andre Dillard at 12, would I be upset? No, because again, look at the freakish athleticism. Look at how great of a pass blocker he is. We're talking about David Bakhtiari level pass blocking, at least in college. Now, the other question would be, are you kind of wasting his talents? Is, is, he, is he more of a true left tackle than a right tackle? I think right tackle, you want to have at least a little bit more power to him. So maybe Andre Dillard just, not to say he would be a bad right tackle. There's no problem with having a great right tackle, great 
pass blocker, but I just feel like that's sort of the heavy side. That's sort of the run side a little bit more often. So I don't know that it's... Th- but, but again, either way, if we take him, you look at the upside, you realize that Gutekunst sees that upside and that potential and just says, this guy's a freak, we got to get him. And it's something to be excited about. So that's sort of the general overview as I see it. Again, not as somebody... If you want to know what people who have broke down hours and hours of film on him, head over to the Draft Network, head over to these other guys that you trust, that you know are doing the work and see what they have to say about him. I'm just telling you the numbers. I'm telling you the stats. I'm telling you how many pressures they gave up. I'm telling you where they excel, where they don't. That's just the perspective I can offer you. But anyways, I got to get rocking. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Sunday. I will, as always, talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.